Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor is Rick Strom, host and executive producer. TYT Sports, actually one of my most favorite personalities in the world. High honor to have him on the show. Top story of the day, an indicted clerk decides to run for Secretary of State. She loses. And now she's claiming that the election was rigged. Let's put her picture up for a mass. This is in Mesa County. The clerk is Tina Peters. She is refusing to concede after losing her efforts to secure the GOP nomination for Secretary of State in Colorado. Let me give you the numbers. Anderson beat Tina Peterson. With 44.7% of the vote, Mike O'Donnell took 28.8%, Peter secured only 26.5%. Now, some people would say, well, damn, that's not even close. (laughs) She's in her 20s, the other people are well ahead of her. She's literally claiming that obviously the numbers are reverse. That she actually deserves the top share of those numbers. Now, remember, this is a Trump humper. This is a conspiracy theorist. This is an individual who has decided to embrace the big lie so much so that she was no longer able to oversee elections in her own county because of her insanity. So she decides, no, I don't need to resign, I need a promotion. I'm running for Secretary of State, which would be the de facto chief elections officer for the entire state of Colorado. Remember I told you this early, it's not just about who cast the vote. Is also about who counts them. And the conservative movement is now creating a strategy where they are looking for positions for people that count votes. That is part of their winning strategy. You know why that's part of their winning strategy? They are afraid of the voter picking the politician, so they want the politician to pick the voters. That's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. There's more. Let's put up her opponent, Pam Anderson. Now, let me tell you why I'm going to give a shout out to a Republican. She actually decided not to embrace the big lie. She won the GOP primary. She rejected the notion that Donald Trump somehow was not legitimate. But she still played the political game, not to the degree of the woman who lost. The Associated Press also projected Anderson won. Colorado Public Radio reported Peters gained a national profile for allegedly violating the security of her office's election equipment to allow an authorized person to hunt for evidence of fraud. She is currently under criminal indictment and has been banned from overseeing elections in our county this year. Isn't that fascinating? This person literally decided to take tax funded positions and investigate conspiracy theories on the taxpayers dime. She's under criminal indictment. Uh, but Denver Post a reporter, Saja Hindi, reported, Peter said she won't back down. She won't give up, no matter what the results are. Of course. Yeah, Peter is a 2020 election denier, offered a conspiracy theory about the election. Tina Peters is now speaking after AP calls the SOS GOP primary for Pam Anderson. Hindi reported, she says the numbers are flipped and the results are fraudulent. It's not over, she said, okay. Uh, here's the reality, uh, obviously she lost and she lost by a landslide here. Now, why is she claiming that she won? She's claiming that she won 
because she knows there's a segment of the society who will simply believe it and possibly, possibly even keep her relevant, even though she would not be in political power. Rick, I want your thoughts on this one. Okay, so real quick, I understand that we should all be like, hey, you know, a Republican did something good, but let's be very <laughs> honest about this. It's the bare minimum. Bare minimum. It's the bare minimum. Like all these Wonder Woman memes that we're gonna talk about with Cassidy Hutchinson, she testified because it's what you should do. It's what you should do. So like with um, this whole movement that you described, the reason that they wanna control the vote and purge the vote is because they are unpopular. These people are not popular, their policies are not popular. Republicans are not popular. If they would, then they would have won a popular vote at least more than once in the last 30 some years. But then when we look even further into the conservative movement as Doc did, you realize that Tina Peters is when she was arrested, she got out on $500 bond. Which by the way, if you're a politician and you try to overthrow an election, you can get out on $500 bond. But if someone was arrested for a dime bag in 95, they will get 35 years. So the a movement, a group that she attended that very same night when she was bonded out called for the public executions of the governor of Colorado. They also called for the public executions of anybody who went against them and is a traitor. These people are not sane. And you know what's the other other thing about this? I don't believe you mentioned it. I think it is important to mention with how far gone she is because she rode on his private jet. And then she also went into hiding, we believe under some of his premises. That was the my pillow dude, Mike Lindell. The connections that they have with Lindell continually pushing this lie over and over again is the same reason that Donald Trump pushed it over and over again. Why? Because he made so much money off these people. Not only remain relevant, but made at least the last time that I checked over $280 million through all of these fraudulent ways to scam people in order to enrich themselves and remain in conservative circles. That's right, very well said, brother. All right, let's bring it up. January 6th, explosive testimony. People are, I dare say, telling the truth. <laughs> Shocking. All right, let's go to it. Here's the first video. When we were in the offstage announce area tent behind the stage, he was very concerned about the shot, meaning the photograph that we would get because the rally space wasn't full. He wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come far to watch him at the rally. Um, and he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason and likely the primary reason is because he wanted it full and he was angry that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons. I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me, take the effing mags away. Let my people in, they can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in, take the effing mags away. Yeah, Cassidy Hutchinson, former White House aide. Let's be very clear about Donald Trump, I've said this on the record multiple times. Not only did he want that crowd to overthrow democracy, he wanted his own vice president to be killed. Remember, minutes after he learned that they were saying hang Mike Pence, 
he sent out a tweet that said Mike Pence has turned his back on the nation. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to find Mike Pence, he wanted them to kill his vice president. He wanted them to overthrow the government. Now, there's another scene described by Hutchinson that occurred after Trump finished speaking at the rally. He was under the impression he would be joining the protesters. Here it is. When the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off the record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. And when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it. It's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing, we're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Donald Trump wanted to be part of the process of becoming a dictator directly. He wanted to seize power by any means necessary. Democrats are still playing games. You let him get back in power. You can kiss your sweet institution and your coveted form of a democracy goodbye. The little that you got left, it's gone. Now you can keep protecting your reputation and institution thinking that there's something sacred about them. It's not. The only thing left sacred is the voters who put you there to change things before they get this bad. There's more. Now, what do we know? Hutchison was not in the presidential limousine. She heard about the episode shortly after. Let me tell you why they stopped the president from doing what he wanted to do, which is very rare, by the way. They stopped him because they knew what he was going to do. That's why they stopped him. Hutchison also testified Trump threw his lunch against the wall because he was so upset at his Secret Service, did not decide to take him to the Capitol. She also mentioned weeks earlier that Trump threw his lunch following an AP interview with Attorney General. Here it is. I remember hearing noise coming from down the hallway. So I poked my head out of the office and I saw the valet walking towards our office. He had said, get the chief down to the dining room, the president wants him. After Mark had returned, I left the office and went down to the dining room. And I noticed that the door was propped open and the valet was inside the dining room changing the tablecloth off of the dining room table. He motioned for me to come in and then pointed towards the front of the room near the fireplace mantle and the TV where I first noticed there was ketchup dripping down the wall and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the attorney general's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall. This man was unhinged, drunk with power, seeking more of it. Let me remind you of the tweet he sent out to get his vice president killed. Let's put it up. 
Shortly after Meadows left the dining room, Trump tweeted that now infamous tweet after the Capitol breach. Remember, this is when they were saying, hang Mike Pence. He said, Mike Pence did not have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands truth. He wanted them to know that Mike Pence wasn't gonna go with the program. But here's the thing, Mike Pence almost did, he tried to. He's calling Dan Quayle, damn Dan Quayle. Counsels Mike Pence to not do something grossly illegal. I don't see how Mike Pence is a hero here. Because if Mike Pence figured he could get away with it even a little bit, it would have been done. It would have been done. So here we are, testimony coming out January 6th committee. They already told you the fix is in because they're not going to officially tell the DOJ to look into charges or indict. They're not gonna do that. They just want the DOJ to figure this out while looking at it on television or inside of the hearing, right? They're not willing to go after Jenny Thomas. They, they sent her a letter, sent her a subpoena. Why make a request when you can make a demand? They don't wanna talk to Vice President Mike Pence. He's at the middle of all of this because there are two institutions they don't wanna take down. One, the presidency itself because Mike Pence takes that down. And two, the Supreme Court because Jenny Thomas takes down the Supreme Court. I guarantee you if they actually investigate Jenny Thomas, they will find direct connection between her and Clarence Thomas and their communications about cases he's ruling on. They still think. These institutions are too precious to be touched. They are doing this committee thing to win the midterms, not to seek ultimate justice. Rick, thoughts here. Okay, a lot to cover, so I'll try to squeeze all of it in. First, if we could put up that Trump tweet one more time, because what I find laughable about Twitter is that this is one of the most grotesque untruths. And there's just that little disclaimer that's like, this claim about election fraud is disputed. It's sort of like with a Viagra commercial when they're like, by the way, your boner will last for 18 hours, but it's no big deal. (laughs) So like how I feel about all this, there's a lot to get to. The first is she said that Rudy Giuliani and Mark Meadows asked for pardons. That's kind of a big thing. The whole catch up stuff, I really don't care because I already knew that this guy is probably clinically insane. But what I think is truly, truly important about these hearings is this is coming from someone who is in conservative circles, who has worked for Steve Scalise, who has worked for Ted Cruz, who has worked for Mark Meadows. And Mark Meadows made it clear that he wanted her to basically be at his side wherever they went, to be taking notes, to listen. This is credibility. Okay, this is not someone that the January 6th committee found off the street and is like, well, I'm a kind of conservative. Why don't I testify about what I saw? No, this is a person who was literally in the room during those times. The other one that's very big that you touched on was, well, actually one other quick thing was he wanted in Trump's words, according to Hutchinson, the mags not taken away. As in the weapons that his supporters had, he wanted them to be able to attend the rally 
and then go to the Capitol. He wanted to be at the Capitol. As you said, and I agree with, he wanted to lead this entire thing because he believes that he is what conservatives think of him, deep conservatives, where you see those images of him looking like Rambo with all these like muscular features and he's like a tough leader. That's exactly what he wanted. He did the photo op when he took off his mask when he had COVID. When he returned to the White House, he wanted another photo op just like that again where he was leading the coup. All that it's going to take now is other people to just have a shred of dignity. A shred of pride to say, you know, this has probably gone far enough. And the fact that we're hearing this from a 25 year old who has been in Republican circles and quite frankly, it appears gone along with it for a long time until she saw the writing on the wall. What exactly will it take for them to have any of the balls that it takes to simply say enough is enough? I don't know if we'll ever see it because they're yep. probably going to go down with the ship. Yep. It's unfortunate, it's sad, but possibly absolutely true. Uh, let's go to Jenny Thomas. Uh, so remember when she said, "Oh yes, I will be happy to clarify why I was so involved in text messages and emails and attempting to overthrow the government. I will be happy to testify." <clears throat> she has now changed her mind. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Jenny Thomas may have changed her mind on testifying before the January 6th committee, following following the true testimony of Ms. Hutchinson. Isn't that interesting? Remember the committee was supposed to obtain these text messages and they were going to talk to Ms. Thomas. I said from day one right here on Indisputable, they're not interested in talking to Jenny Thomas. They never were. She kind of forced their hand to even be open to it. They wanted to send a letter. They didn't want to subpoena her. They didn't want to subpoena Mike Pence. There are people that they are trying to protect. I even talked to Congressman Ro Khanna. Ro Khanna said, listen, they should investigate. Uh, Ms. Thomas, there was nothing barring them from doing so. And he agreed with me, she should get a subpoena, not some kind of letter just asking can she attend. So let's put up the picture of Paletto. Now this is gonna be interesting. The, the statement from what was Trump's general counsel, okay, is now the counsel for Jenny Thomas. Mrs. Thomas is eager to clear her name. And is willing to appear before the committee to do so. However, however, based on my understanding of the communications that spurred the committee's request, not subpoena, but request, I do not understand the need to speak with Mrs. Thomas. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Literally, during the course of the organic investigation, we're not even talking about the political stuff, I'm talking about the real investigation. During the course of the real investigation, Jenny Thomas's text messages, phone calls, corroborating witnesses, all lined up. Not only was she trying to convince DC lawmakers, she was trying to convince lawmakers in other states to overturn the valid democratically held election. She was involved. Now, don't think it's a coincidence that the rulings of her husband, Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, perfectly aligned to her public advocacy, even when they disaligned with other conservatives on the bench. There's more. Prior to his post, um, this attorney served as chief counsel and assistant to Vice President Mike Pence. 
Um, in an eight page letter, it read, and I quote, part of it said before, before I can recommend that she meet with you. Now remember, Jenny Thomas already said I will. He said before I can recommend that she meet with you. I am asking the committee to provide a better justification for why Mrs. Thomas's testimony is relevant <laughs> to the committee's legislative purposes. And see, and this is the problem I have with the committee. Why are you not sending out a subpoena? Damn it, a subpoena is not a request. You don't negotiate on a subpoena. You can negotiate on a letter, but they refuse to do so. Um, he then argued that Jenny Thomas should not have to testify because she has been subjected to just uh, so much stress. I mean, guys, she tried to overthrow a government, it didn't work. I mean, she's stressed out about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So he says, and I quote, I would also note that this has been a particularly stressful time as the Thomases have been subjected to an advance, to an avalanche of threats, death threats, and other abuse by the unprecedented assault on the conservative oh. Supreme Court justices and their families. <laughs> I wish a Karen would. This is Karenicity 101. Oh my God, the frail white woman just cannot take the stress you're putting her through. Isn't it fascinating? But once again, the January 6th committee, they're playing into the hands of power here rather than challenging it, rather than being a leader and leading through it. Sometimes, yes, you navigate egos, but other times you gotta check them. All right, Rick, thoughts? Uh, lots of them. Okay, so Jenny uh, Thomas not being subpoenaed is weird. The initial reports came out that it was mainly coming from uh, Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney. If that is still true, humongous problem. I agree with you in the last segment as well to add on to it that uh, Democrats like Republicans, uh, traditionalists, believe in these institutions. Even as they erode, even as they take away our rights, they will always favor the institution over the citizens of the country. It's tough to hear, but it's true. And this would also, going back to the last segment, um, maintain that Democrats have to eliminate the filibuster in order to do stuff. But once again, it shows that the institution is far greater than the citizens. I found an interesting connection, and I'm sure this was made as well, Uh, John Eastman. We've seen what he has done, right? We have seen the communications that Jenny Thomas has had with John Eastman as well. Do you know who John Eastman clerked for? That would be Justice Clarence Thomas. It just keeps spinning these connections over and over and over again. Why they don't subpoena Jenny Thomas to, let's just say and be honest here, Those like us who are uncorrupted by the establishment, it seems odd. But then once you realize the connections that all of these people have with one another, they will not sell each other out, even if there is the evidence that shows that this person played a part, whatever that may be, large or small, needs to be investigated, a part in overthrowing American democracy. There you go. Um, We got more on the other side, we got a lot of show. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments before I get to that. Remember, we got a membership opportunity now. Long time in the making is here. You have been so supportive. I want you to have the opportunity to become a member of the indisputable YouTube page. 
If you're already subscribed, great, nothing will change. But if you would like additional connectivity, access, etc., make sure you join. We got what three levels starting at 499 all the way up to 2499. Various opportunities to engage. Um, we'll love for you to do so. All right, become a member of the indisputable. Okay. A lot of comments. I will read as many as I can. Lynn says, Hey Doc, you could have saved that Tina Peters for I wish you Karen would. I really could have, but I didn't have a video and it kind of needs a video with how I do the segment. But you're right. All right. Next TOT reporter, uh, could someone get the president of Juicy just already? He's strangling people. It's insane, isn't it? Meany 2022, uh, talking about the clerk. I wonder where she got that from. <laughs> right. Like, where? Uh, thank you, Pitchforks Dragon. I appreciate you. Mr. President, if you don't behave, I will turn this car around. Basically, it isn't. It? All right. Okay. We'll lighten the mood a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. My God, a large black man has gotten involved. <laughs> Did you see how everyone changed in that restaurant as soon as a black male stepped up? I mean, all of the back and forth, and now none of that frightened anybody. Everybody was very quiet. Very. So let's go to the origins of this. Very interesting. This is a throwback Karen moment. I'm really not sure how many Karens were here. I mean, obviously the guy who was aggressive, I can consider him a male Karen, he got out of hand. Uh, they they did insult what he was wearing after he told him to shut his mouth. And the um, individual from the establishment said, you're wearing those clothes and you wanna insult me. All right, <laughs> that's a jab, okay, I gotta get, but the man did just tell you to shut up, all right? So they were kind of going back and forth. Uh, this happened on a Father's Day <laughs> at a prime rib in Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why the other patrons were saying, hey, there are children here. It happened okay? on Father's Day? It was on the Father's Day, throwback. <laughs> All right, Rick, what are your thoughts here, dear brother? That's the most amazing plot twist I've ever heard, Doc. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, look, look, there are times to celebrate, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't expect that. Yeah. I don't really know what else to say. All right, so look, look, look. As as someone who has worked in restaurants before, I'm continually shown how customers feel so entitled all the time, all the time. I worked as a table wiper. 
I boxed pizzas, I answered phones, I served customers. Yeah, at times we saw some crappy ones. But to see something like this, where the staff is being so professional, aside from the jab about his clothes, yeah. warranted. Warranted. It was a soft. <laughs> it was a soft jab. It was. It was like a. It was like if Winky Wright was like, "All right, round one. I'm just gonna throw one out there." Like it's right. very, very soft. It's nothing. Um, this reminded me. I don't know if you remember of the New York bagel shop guy. It yes. just looked like he grew a few inches <laughs> and then grabbed some oversized <laughs> clothes and just went after the wait staff for no reason. And this dude, this dude with the wait staff is being so patient. You know, he had his hands behind his back. And look, look, I, I don't know where this was, don't really care. The fact that it was on Father's Day is juicy as hell. Uh, and hopefully, you know, he'll go to Outback instead of wherever this is. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, man, because we have a simple philosophy here. We we defend those who work in our restaurant industry, service-based industries. Always. And and like you, I've waited tables. I've worked at Pizza Hut. I've worked at Ruby Tuesdays, and I've had these jobs going through college and beyond. Uh, and I've always had a deep appreciation for the BS. That people in the industry have to take. All right. So uh interesting. But yeah, it was on the Father's Day. Very sad story. A North Carolina cop shoots a man five times. He literally calls for backup and shoots the unarmed man again. Let's put up a picture of the unarmed man that he shot. Okay. Let's put it up full mass. His name was Brandon Combs. Brandon Combs was 29 years of age. The picture you're looking at is Combs at a Charlotte area museum, amusement park, excuse me, with his daughter. His daughter's name is Allison. They took this picture last summer. Mr. Combs was shot and killed by Concord police in 2022, February. Police had initially described uh, described the shooting as a result from a physical confrontation at a car dealership where Combs was trying to steal a truck. So that's the initial report. Attorneys for Brandon Combs' mother, Virginia, said they were in utter disbelief after being shown the video of the shooting last week, news outlets reported. The attorneys called on officials to release the footage to the public and charged the officer involved. But Miss Virginia's attorneys say the footage shows that no struggle ever occurred between Combs and the officer. The officer, his name is Timothy Larson. Timothy Larson, according to the attorney, decided to open fire. Instead, they said it shows a short foot chase that ended when Combs got into the driver's seat of Larson's police SUV. They said the officers shot the officer shot Combs five times, called dispatch. And then shot him again. They did not specify how much time elapsed between the fifth and sixth shots. A spokesperson for the police department did not immediately return a phone call or respond to an email seeking comment on Tuesday. And they're doing this thing that they typically do hide the pickle. They don't want you to know information about the officer, pictures, etc. So we do something here. We go ahead and give you a face of the person in charge. So put up the chief. 
This is the Concord Chief of Police. His name is Gary Gaycheck. All right, that's the face of this story until we know who the officer is fully. Um, or officers that were involved. Civil rights attorney Harry Daniels, who happens to be a dear friend of mine. uh, Daniels told the Charlotte Observer that it was one of the worst police shooting videos he has ever seen. And that Combs death has not gotten the attention it deserves because police presented the shooting as an open and shut case. Let's put up the picture of the DA. DA would be in charge of prosecuting this case if she decides to move and do so. All right. Now, her name is Roxanne Van Neek Hoven. Daniels and other attorneys called on the DA to charge Officer Larson with a crime or take the case before a grand jury for a possible indictment. The State Bureau of Investigation, which investigated the shooting, sent findings to the DA earlier this month. In other words, the DA already has all of the evidence. Now, I actually believe Harry Daniels, not only Do I know him as an attorney? I've been friends with Harry Daniels for about 15 years. Mm. When Harry Daniels looks at a video and he says it's one of the worst police shootings he's ever seen, he's telling the truth. We need to see that video. So we're gonna put public pressure because he's right, this story has not received the national attention it deserves. We're gonna do that. We wanna make sure that there's justice for Mr. Combs and his family. We wanna make sure that there's someone held accountable for the death of this individual who who should be alive. This man, the extermination of his life means that his children, his family, they are all impacted. And when you have someone that close to you dies, believe me, I know, there's a death inside of you too. It impacts us all. All right, Rick, thoughts on this? So there's usually a tell with a lot of these cases, Doc, and that is when you have nothing to hide, you will present it. That's right. If they have something to hide, then they will hide it. Thus, the body cam video has not been released. We know why it has not been released. It is because it would be another example of police brutality and a grave injustice to the fears that every Americans have of modern day, not even modern day, of policing in general. We have seen, and John Oliver did a great piece about two years ago on just policing. And that's when a lot of America was introduced to a man named Dave Grossman, who does a lot of seminars on why lethal force is necessary. Their officers attend these seminars on their own accord if they wish, they receive no pushback whatsoever. And we have seen how the training has failed time and time again. This officer lied, he did not answer prepared questions. And then he also told his chief of police, that he basically deceived the truth. And there is a quote here from the attorney that said, we didn't hear Officer Larson say he was threatened. We didn't hear him say he was afraid for his life. We didn't hear him say he tried to attack me as in Combs. He didn't even say he put his hand on me and I had to defend myself. We didn't hear any of that. It's because it didn't occur. Right. And the reason again, as I wrap up and put a bow on this, why we will likely not see it for some time is because it is so egregious that he shot this man multiple times, called for backup, called dispatch, what have you, and then shot him again. I don't know if he thinks that he is like in in a movie, this is like modern day training day or something. But the way that he went about this should bring 
some sort of case against him. It just should. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the other part. And you don't really need reform to hold cops accountable. You don't need new laws to hold them accountable. Lying on a police report is a crime. Mm-hmm. Lying on a police report can get you a felony charge of violating your oath of office if they choose to. And it has upheld in other jurisdictions. If other officers were involved and they knew about it, there are charges that can be allocated to them because of what's called duty to intervene. What's happening is literally it comes down to prosecutorial discretion, where these particular elected prosecutors are unwilling to apply the actual and absolute law as it relates to law enforcement. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone, they call me Jared Jackson, the watch list. Make sure you tune in live weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. You can watch live and follow at facebook.com forward slash watch TYT. And also subscribe on the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash watch TYT. It's an amazing show, all right, you'll love it. Okay, Lynn says, acting like a mother on Father's Day. I see what you did there, Lynn. That was cute. That's funny. Okay, next TOT reporter talking about the um, officer. Uh, the worst police shooting they have seen says a time. It really does. For a civil rights litigator who works with Ben Crump, mm-hmm. that says a lot. Uh, Mel Karen, uh, <laughs> Doodoo Bean, never thought I'd say that ever. Just thank you for giving me a first. Doodoo Bean. Doodoo Bean. Doodoo Bean. That was the first black person that old lady had ever saw in person. <laughs> you saw how she screamed. She the, was the going screen, nuts. I, I rewind. I had to rewind it and look at it again. Like, oh my god, her 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 expression was just whoa. C. Michael Henson, thank you again, C. Michael. I used to work third shift at IHOP in the mid nineties, where one would expect this behavior: shaking my head. Oh yeah. Uh, Let's go to Twitch, all right, we got Twitch back. Uh, Twitch says, all of a sudden, ah, talking about the screen. I can't mimic it, but that was my best. All right, I got a question for everybody. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face, it's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math, somebody say amen. Put his picture up, full mass. This man was caught masturbating at a local Starbucks for the second time. Which means he has likely done this 200 times. His name is Pastor no. Deli Munez Colon, all right? Pastor Colon has this obsession with going to a Starbucks and deciding to pleasure himself. Let's get into it. Deputies say a Florida pastor, yep, he's from Florida, exposed himself and performed a sex act on himself at a Starbucks in May. The pastor who teaches online ministry classes is charged with exposure of sexual organs. The county sheriff's office says it received a report on May 9th of a male exposing his sexual organs while masturbating on the patio of Starbucks. 
Detectives eventually determined it was the same pastor that was subject of a previous, well, let's say, customer interruption. <laughs> the investigation, the investigation, way to put it. <laughs> don't know what else. I think I'm gonna get through this story, Rick. <laughs> the investigation revealed that uh, Mr. Munez Colon previously had a similar charge that occurred at the same location. Why is he allowed back at the Starbucks? Good question. But he was arrested for this. He was released from the sheriff's office. Deputies arrested him again on Monday, transporting him to the county. He is being held on a $1,000 bond. But you can, looks like you can overthrow or try to overthrow democracy and you only have to pay $500 to get out. Now, it's really interesting because when I saw this story, I said, well, my goodness. I've actually heard something before about Starbucks and semen. Here it is. You know, it's, it's a strange thing that milk comes from the mammary glands and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said that semen, because you know, I had this thing going back a year ago with me talking about semen and, 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 and Starbucks lattes, and they do put it in there. And many people slammed me and said I should get off of it. One guy wrote me and told me he wasn't gonna send me any more offerings until I stopped talking about semen in Starbucks coffee. I told him to keep his offerings. Yes, Pastor Manning uh, and this other pastor, uh, obviously have um, some kind of fetish. I, I I don't know. Listen, you know, for the most part, Rick, uh, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. Okay, this is what you want to do when you order your Starbucks. Cool, that's on you. I just recommend you do it in the privacy of your home, or in the privacy of somebody else's home who's okay with it. But when you decide to do it at the establishment, well, that's problematic. Thoughts here. So interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, thoughts, uh, thoughts, thoughts are good. Um, okay, first, first, the charge of like sexual organs sounds weird to me. It does. Yeah, like. You know, exposing himself, I, I, public exposure. I mean, you know, allegedly Lauren Bobert's husband would know about that. Um, exposure of organs. It it sounds weird to me. It sounds like he's like, you know, <laughs> we're already getting graphic. Uh, like cutting himself open, showing the organ, and then putting it back in. So like that, that's a weird charge. We should probably be done with that. The second was the pastor. The second pastor, he probably shouldn't talk about like getting off on that when he's giving his analysis. <laughs> Just advice. Yeah. The third is uh, whatever ministry this man belongs to. Second instance, guys, what are you gonna do about it? Why is he still there? If he yeah. is still there, of course. Why won't you just punish this guy? And I, I agree with you. If, if he's done it twice, he's done it 500 times. Yeah, yeah. He just he just got caught. That's, That's right. all that this is. Also, by the way, by the way, the the semen milk thing, like dumb. Uh, oat milk, healthier on your dare I say organs. <laughs> uh, and let me say this as a side note to uh, Manning, the guy that I played. First of all, Manning is a complete and utter joke. All right, he's anti Clearly. everything, everything known as unity, love, and acceptance. Um, and I 
hope one day he's willing to come and debate me on the bullpen. But we shall see. All right, but he's a he's ridiculous. Let's talk about a sad story with a positive ending, if you can even call it that. A man was incarcerated for 30 years, did not commit the crime. A personal injury attorney who's considered to be a rookie in law actually was able to get him free. Let's put up his picture for a mass. His name is Thomas, Thomas Raynard James. Look at that face. That's the face of a man who had 30 years of his life taken away because of a bias, prejudicial, racist system. Let's put up her picture. The attorney, the attorney that gave him his life back is an injury attorney who just followed the evidence. Mm -hmm. Let me give you some background to this story. Natalie Figures is a business and personal injury attorney <clears throat> who heard, heard about Thomas Raynard James. She heard about the case from one of his friends. Thank God for friends. The criminal attorneys who would take on this case required fees. They wanted to be paid. His friends were trying to raise the money when they approached Ms. Figures. She agreed to help James log in more than 2000 hours of researching and interviewing people to secure evidence of his innocence. I couldn't stop until he was out, she said. So I kept giving them more. It became overwhelming evidence of his innocence. Now, let me say this, what happened here? You had people who are willing to listen. You had a professional who was willing to open their ears rather than open up her bank account and say, put money in it. And what was the result? Justice. Sometimes we have to be able to listen, willing to step up, be a leader when called upon. She did not expect in her legal practice that this would be what she was going to do. But she was a person that cared. Let's put up a picture of Mr. James. He spent 31 years in a Florida prison for a 1990 murder of an elderly Miami man in a home invasion and robbery. The state freed him in April after a key witness recanted her testimony. Another man named Thomas, Tommy James, was implicated in the home invasion robbery gone wrong because he was associated with Vincent Dog Williams who was fingered for the crime by other witnesses. So this was one of those guilty by associations. Now, how did she win this case? Ms. Figures, the attorney, says she spoke with at least 75 people, including the witness who changed her story. She drove hundreds of miles to gather evidence just weeks after giving birth. She discovered they were nine sets of prints at the crime scene, nine. But none of them belonged to Mr. James, her client. The man had denied being in the close knit neighborhood at the time of the McKinnon's murder and had only visited once or twice years before the crime, but he could not recall his whereabouts at the time of the crime to detectives. You already see the fixes in. The detectives now say, okay, no alibi. You're black, we're able to pin this on you regardless of the evidence. We're gonna make sure we create a witness. That's all you needed. That's all you needed back then and typically that's all you need today. A black person, you cannot confirm whereabouts. You got a guilty person at trial, still the same system. All right, um, figures took all of the evidence she found to the Florida Justice Institute's wrongful conviction unit. 
She recommends cases for a second look. The Miami-Dade County State Attorney's Office reopened the case in 2021. The state attorney, Catherine Fernandez Rundle, said her team reviewed over 10,000 pages, examined fingerprints, and took the sworn statements from witnesses. Figures challenge, however, was getting the prosecution's witness, Dorothy Walton, to speak. Here's the quote from the attorney. She did not want to give any statements, Figures told NBC News of Walton. She did not want to talk to people for years. When I went to interview her, she cracked the door open. I knew at that time she was giving me an opportunity to show her why she should do the right thing. It was such an emotional point for me, the attorney says. I could not help but to cry to her. And I told her, if God tells you to give me a call when I leave, please give me a call. I'm going to answer. But I'm doing this because he is an innocent person. And I'm doing this because God put me here and I left. His figure said Walton called 10 minutes later asking how she knew James, if they were related and if he was paying her to look into the case. No, I'm doing this pro bono. She asked me, how did I know it wasn't him? I said, because I know. And she said, I know it wasn't him too. Put his picture up again. After the final piece of evidence was in place, Mr. James was finally freed April 27th. He told reporters that he forgives Ms. Walton and is grateful his attorney stepped in when no one else would. His quote was, I owe her my life. Mm. Man, so <clears throat> 30 years taken away from him, 30 years taken away from his humanity, his ability to live and enjoy the experience, the journey we know as life, all because of corruption. Now, I bring these stories routinely to you because I want you to see the systematic bias. But I also want you to realize something that never happens in these cases. You know there was a lying detective, you know there was a lying witness, you know there was a corrupt prosecutor, you know they're still alive. You know they will not be charged with any crimes. That's right. Hell, they won't even be disbarred. All right, Rick, thoughts on this? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, well put, first off. Uh, secondly, uh, Natalie is a hero. Yeah. Um, two years out of law school, a personal injury lawyer, zero experience in criminal law, and she works, let's be honest, her ass off. Because she believed in this man. When I was reading up on the story, um, it was symbolic of what we have seen in years past of how one small thing that is wrong can lead to a conviction to ruin someone's life. And the biggest thing was the Coral Gables police entered his name in a database and found a Thomas James and tagged him as the murderer without physical evidence. All they did was put his name in a database and said, that guy, go get him. And they locked him up. No fingerprints of his, there were other fingerprints there. There was no evidence whatsoever. And because of a database flaw of Thomas James or Tommy James instead of who he is, which is Thomas Raynard James. They locked him up and everybody went 
with it. Because all they cared about was bringing someone to justice. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter their story, doesn't matter where they are in life, doesn't matter what they're trying to do. They say that um, uh, basically with the criminal justice that it's blind, but it's not. Right. It takes so many people to go along with it. And they willingly do it because it appears that they just don't want to say to the other, this might be wrong or it might be flawed. I'm glad he's getting his life back, but I truly hope he I truly hope he sues the state and wins and wins big because no one should be able to have their life completely upended for over 30 years for something they did not do. That's right. And and you look at this from the context of this attorney did the right thing. Not the right thing simply by the standards of her profession, but the right thing morally and ethically to the standards of humanity. While something very wrong was done to him, there was something very right that happened to him much later. And that's how we change the world. We don't change the world just because we allow or complain about the wrong. But when it's an opportunity for us to do the right, we step up. That's what she did. She did not make the excuse of, I'm not a criminal defense attorney. Or I don't have the experience, or I don't have the staffing, or I don't have the time. She found it and overturned an entire conviction. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Good to be with you, got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. I gotta be quick, running out of time. Lynn, uh, you know I love you, but I'm not going to read that on air, all right? Funny though. Okay, Mickey C the Silverhead Dragon, LOL both Dr. Rick uh, stumbling over the words. Why do men have so much trouble speaking about normal bodily functions? Cause it's funny. All right, uh, Kathy Seats or Seitz, uh, thank you so much for that Kathy. Uh, Adrian Vixen, bro wanted a uh, Fappuccino, okay. Uh, Amber Lopez, organ exposure sounds like uncovering a piano. There you go, it is weird. Uh, Master Unknown says never ask for extra extra foam at a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, I knew these were going to come. All right, here it is. A black woman goes to a church. She's turned away because she's black. They said, you know, they really don't allow colors. Okay, uh, let's put up her picture, full mass, and a picture of the church. There you go. A woman went to social media alleging a member of First Baptist. A forest city in Arkansas had turned her and her family away because they were in fact black. Her name is Donna Mack. Donna Mack claimed that she was initially invited by someone to the church, but when she attempted to enter, she was stopped. But there were people already inside. She described her experience on social media. She said, and I quote, walking up. We were met on the steps by the first member, an old white guy stated, well, what you wanna come in for? And I promise that's how we sounded almost, okay? We responded, church. He stated, church doesn't start until 11 a.m. Mind you, other members are entering the church at this time. After speaking with the second member, older white lady, I stated, is everyone not welcome here? She stated, we've had colors here before. I asked, what do you mean coloreds? Do you mean black people? Her response, no, coloreds. 
When I was growing up, we always called them coloreds. We just looked at her and left. Let's put up a picture of the preacher. We got him, we're gonna expose him today. Uh, the church's pastor, his name is Steve Walter. Walter responded to the incident by saying he believed it was all just a miscommunications to the coloreds. He didn't say to the colors, I added that, that's what he was thinking. On behalf of the church, she needs to experience a sense of sorrow on our part. She needs to be told how sorry we are collectively. Walter also acknowledged the racial divide in the community and says this was a teachable moment for the congregation. All right, good reverend, <laughs> I don't believe for a day that you are not aware of the racism of your church because I think you lead them. I think you lead them into racism on a regular basis, I do. I think you got exposed, you got embarrassed because your members did what they typically do inside on the outside and they got exposed. Now all of a sudden, it's a miscommunication. Now remember the pastor did not denounce his member. The pastor did not say it was untrue. If it's true pastor, why did you not denounce the member and say we don't want those people, racist people in this church. They gotta get the hell up out of here. Why do you say that preacher? Uh, for context, the city was named after Nathan Bedford Forrest. Who is that? Yeah, uh, KKK leader, uh, Confederate general, KKK uh, Ku Klux Clown. The church, the chance of a church having a racist member is not impossible. Per WREG, St. Francis County NAACP plans to meet with the church and the officials as well. Uh, and, and here's the thing. There, there can't be a discrimination lawsuit because really churches have the right to discriminate even racially. All right, That's one of the freedoms that they have, it's unfortunate but real. I hate that her family and her experienced this level of racism. They were there because some people say, well, why were they trying to get into this church? They were there because they were invited. They were invited by a friend or was it a friend, all right? Rick, thoughts on this extreme racism and church? So, um as a uh, Jewish person, um, this is uh, fairly not even surprising um, because we know how um, the practices in this country have been. However, how I was led to believe religion should serve is to be inclusive, to be welcome, to be opening. Uh, to be open, to try and just make a bridge to those who may not look like you because you all serve the same higher purpose. If someone is denied entry, and I know you just kind of went over this, but if someone is denied entry into praying under your same religion and essentially under your same house, well then, we need to solve this problem immediately because it doesn't seem like that, at least for this one church, that your religion is as open as you would like it to be, or at least how you promote your church to be. Yeah. So it's, excuse me, it's an allegation, it's a serious allegation. Um, if it is true, and I have no reason to not believe that this happened, um, I'm glad that the spotlight is being uh, shined upon them because they brought it on themselves. They did, and here's the other thing, historical context. When a church is called First Baptist, that means it is the first Baptist church typically of that city, okay? So this is an old church. This is what you would call a historical 
white church. And there has been this linkage between white supremacy and Christian evangelicals, the Baptist movement. All of these things have significant connections. And I guarantee you, all of them vote for Trump. All of them are conservatives, right? But once again, they are the ones hijacking what the faith meant. Like you, Rick, my faith teaches me to be inclusive. My faith teaches me that God is love, which means love is God. My faith teaches me that we're supposed to seek to unite rather than destroy. All right, a white woman in Alabama says she's gonna kill all the N-words in Walmart and she gets a $500 fine. So let me go ahead and put up both pictures here. It's interesting, you got two people involved. So one, you got a 20 year old white woman who was facing a misdemeanor disorderly conduct charge after making a post on social media suggesting that she will commit violence against black residents of Tuscaloosa. 20 year old Sydney Angela Holder on the left allegedly posted on social media that she wanted to shoot a N word at Walmart. That's what she said. Another woman, 20 year old Emily Elizabeth Cornett on the right, was also charged with a misdemeanor disorderly conduct in relation to the incident. They could have been charged with felonies, they were not. The Tuscaloosa Police Department charged Holder Thursday and Cornette Friday with bond for both women set at a whopping $500. As of last Friday, Holder had been released after posting bond. Let's put up a picture of the police department. That's them. That is their official Facebook Tuscaloosa Police Department photo. Notice anything there? Holder is a nursing student at Shelton State Community College, a community college located in Tuscaloosa. Put up a picture of the college, inside the college, all right? It's a nice college actually. The college said in the statement, and I quote, Shelton State Community College is currently working with the Tuscaloosa Police Department regarding a recent racial media incident. Racial media incident, I think that's called a terrorist attack and a racially motivated terrorist terroristic threat. The college is fully participating with law enforcement's investigation and is dedicated to upholding its institutional values, integrity, accountability, respect, and responsiveness. Shelton State remains committed to maintaining a safe environment for all. Now here's the thing, I've been a college professor since 2016. We've had things like this happen before where a student has done something egregious and racist outside of the classroom off of campus. And we made a decision as an institution to disallow that individual from continuing to matriculate because you have an obligation. When you are a college and you receive federal funding, financial aid, whatever it may be, you have an obligation to maintain an anti-discriminatory workplace. That is a requirement for you to remain a college and accredited in the United States of America. If they do not do what should be done here, they are literally saying that we're willing to risk our accreditation and our financial aid in order to keep a white racist student on campus. There's more. The Tuscaloosa County branch of the NAACP addressed the incident in a statement posted to Facebook. They said, and I quote, the NAACP was notified late today of a video posted by a nursing student at Shelter State Community College depicting the student with a firearm making a domestic terroristic statement. In the video, the student can be heard saying that she'll shoot N word in Walmart, upon learning of the existence of the video, we immediately consulted with the school's administrators. We learned that law enforcement had been notified and that the college is cooperating with local officials and actively addressing the situation. When is the college going to say she is no longer a student here? She will not be allowed to ever attend here. We protect our students and the integrity of the institution here and we don't play that. 
at this school. All of a sudden, leaders don't want to be leaders. All of a sudden, when there's a conflict, they want to hide behind a statement rather than go to the podium. Pick up the microphone when it's convenient and inconvenient. That's what leadership is about. All right, Rick, thoughts on this? I remember um, you and I did a story uh, a while ago, respectively, of course, mm-hmm. of high school students at in a town called Vider. That's right. Where the students who are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old went on TikTok and said that they wanted to kill effing and then racial slurs. And we still don't totally know what the punishment is because Vider High School hasn't really come out and said anything. They just gave the same sort of approach of, yeah, we're gonna discipline them, but how are you going to discipline them? These are people that are not only in your community where Vider was well known as a sundown town, but also they are going to your high school in a community that is like 98, 99% white. I do think that it is not an overreach of any school respectively, even if it is, excuse me, outside of the school's buildings and walls to say this person put up this post and did this thing in our community and we really need to punish them. That is not an overreach. Right. That is the correct reaction to protecting those that are historically disenfranchised, especially because you're showing once again that you will not protect them. The example can be set and the precedent can be set to say, you know what, this was really bad and we need to come down hard on them. Instead of saying, we're gonna handle it internally. Those days have to be long, long gone. Because if you're gonna show that you care about everybody equally, then a punishment and a precedent has to be set. There you go, there you go. All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. The cops made such a negligent error that it caused a man to commit suicide. This is such a horrible story, right? Let's put up the picture full mass of Brian Temple, 34 years of age. He killed himself on New Year's Eve in 2017. We now have the rest of the story. An inquest was heard how a UK man was found dead over suicide after what the cops in the UK are saying was human error. You know why he killed himself? Keep his picture up. He killed himself because the cops said he was a pedophile. It was a mistake, they say. They fumbled the paperwork. He was actually in jail for petty theft, not pedophilia. It was almost seven months after the alleged theft of a packet of sausage, where the police reports mistakenly described that young man as a pedophile. In the months that followed, Temple began to drink heavily. He started to take a mixture of both prescribed medication and recreational drugs to cope with threats and abuse. Ultimately, Temple's death was suicide by hanging. 
His body was found by his brother after his family became concerned. They had not heard from him all day. Let me give you some background. June 20th, it was heard that upon arriving home from custody, Mr. Temple gave his release papers. All right, he came home, he gave his release papers to his then girlfriend. He didn't read them, he didn't look at them. They said, all right, here are your papers, you gotta come to court, here's what you're charged with. Okay, cool, I know what I'm charged with. He takes the papers, he brings them, gives them to his girlfriend. Unbeknown to him, the police made an error in the paperwork in which they produced the wrong information. The letter stating he had been in custody for inciting sexual relations with a 13 year old girl, which he had not done. He had not done this, not at all, nothing near this, but it was in the paperwork. So he hands the paperwork to his then girlfriend. Girlfriend looks at the paperwork, what do you think she does? What do you think her reaction is, all right? Temple's then girlfriend began telling people of the incorrect information, which in turn caused people to lash out at Mr. Temple. He was reportedly verbally abused in the street, attacked in his own home and hit around the head by a golf club. He also reported threats and assault to the police, the court heard. But visits by police welfare officers to Temple's home only fueled unfounded suspicions about him, the court was told. Detective Sergeant Agar of Cleveland Police said in the statement that he dealt with Mr. Temple's complaint of the incorrect papers on November 28, 2017. And he said the bail sheet was a genuine human error, that's all. The Independent Office for Police Conduct began an investigation into Mr. Temple's passing. So an error like this will not happen again at Cleveland Police. They concluded that human error was the main judgment of the papers. This and this occurrence was incredibly unusual. So there's no confusion. UK Cleveland Police is the territorial police responsible for an area in Northern England. Okay, so just so you understand that, the man is dead. He committed suicide because they fumbled paperwork, and they really did not do a massive campaign to correct it. Unfortunately. This could have been avoided. Uh, we're running out of time. Jackson, your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, this is why professionalism is so important, and this is why holding authority to account is so important. You know, because them saying human error, you know, I could see if you know he stole a packet of sausage, if they say he stole something else that he didn't steal, but stealing a small amount of food to molesting a little girl is very different. Yeah. So, you know, this is very unfortunate that his life ended up coming to an end in this fashion due to lack of professionalism. Yeah, and it's getting to a point now that if the police are saying one thing, if somebody that you know is saying something else, you can't just believe the police. That's it's getting yeah. to that place now. And it's because of the police. It's the police fault for their own word becoming mud in these streets. They have proven time and time again. Uh, that they are not only incompetent, but sometimes downright corrupt, all right? So I question everything now, that's just where I'm at. All right, here's the reality. Brittany Griner is a hostage in Russia, she's a prisoner, okay? Now, the American government, they're not gonna say it like that. But remember, all of this has now been turned over to the people at the State Department that deal with hostages. Okay, she's gonna get a day in court according to the latest WNBA star, Brittany Griner. Let's put up the picture full mass here. Shackled, looking wary. Griner was ordered to stand trial last Friday by a court near Moscow. 
on cannabis possession charges about four and a half months after arrest at an airport while returning to play for a Russian team. Griner could face 10 years in prison if convicted on charges of large scale transportation of drugs. Fewer than 1% of defendants in Russia and Russian criminal cases are actually acquitted, all right? At Monday's closed door prelim hearing at the court in the Moscow suburb of Kimki, Griner's detention was extended for another six months. Amid the tensions, Griner supporters had taken a low profile in hopes of a quiet resolution until May when the State Department reclassified her as wrongfully detained and shifted oversight of her case to a special presidential envoy of hostage affairs, effectively the US government's chief hostage negotiator. I have Rick who is my go-to guy for all things sports, but Obviously, there's a social interplay here. Give me your breakdown on what's happening with Ms. Griner now. Okay, so um, it's not just the US State Department. Bill Richardson, who is um, a former ambassador to the UN for the US, he has his own, let's call it like a private practice per se. Yeah. He's working on this as well. He has helped out others who have been in detention and taken, let's just call it what it is, in my opinion. Uh, it seems like she is being held captive and a prisoner of war because they know that the United States has people that they also have captured. One of them via USA Today is Victor Bout. He was arrested in 2008 after undercover agents asked him to sell them missiles capable of shooting down American planes. This is basically a guy that you could get any missile from at any time. So he is important to Vladimir Putin. When all of this happened, it was in February. It was a few months before the illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine. Brittany Griner is one of the most celebrated and decorated basketball players currently in the United States, specifically on the women's side as well. We don't know also, and it's very important that we state this. We do not know if she actually had vape cartridges. That has been a very, very important point that I have come upon in my research is that this could just have happened because Vladimir Putin knew that he was going to invade Ukraine. He wanted to have a peace and now they are working on the, let's call it a trade, a prison mm -hmm. swap. Um, I really can't predict what's gonna happen, but I do know that we need to bring Brittany Griner home. Kathy yep. Engelbert, the WNBA commissioner has said we need to bring Brittany Griner home. And they've also not only launched websites in her name, but also put BG32 on WNBA courts to, sp to try and spread awareness of this injustice that has happened. Yeah, she's being used as a bargaining chip and we'll find out more later. Uh, we appreciate you brother, all that you do, Rick. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, thank you guys. All right, remember, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.